This is Moving Pictures. I'm your host, Brent Gunn. With me, as always, is Mitch. Uh, how about you say hi, Mitch? Hello, hello, everybody. This is Mitchell Kakalka, one of the community editors for Central Michigan Life and a pretty cool dude, I'd like to say. And today we have a very special guest. Uh, we have Dr. Patty Williamson. Uh, how about you introduce yourself? Hey, uh, I'm Patty Williamson. I'm uh, an associate professor in the School of Broadcast and Cinematic Arts, and this year I am the festival director of the Central Michigan International Film Festival. And that is specifically what we're here to talk about today. Uh, the Central Michigan International Film Festival starts tomorrow, or today if you're listening, and um, also otherwise known as CMIF. And today we're basically talking all about that, what's going into it, uh, the films that are going to be curated, what audiences can expect, and kind of just talk about, you know, the films and cinema in general. So how about you tell us about how this whole process has been for you? Because I know this is your first year setting up the Film Fest. Yeah, it's been my first year. It's been a real steep learning curve, I'll say. Um, I've been teaching film courses at CMU for a long time, but... Uh, Dr. Poindexter was the one who always did the film festival, but this year we swapped roles. He took over as grad director in our program, which I used to do, and I took over as the advisor for the Film Society, which also means that you become the festival director for CMIFF. And while I've attended several years, it was never my full responsibility to put the whole thing together and work with Film Society to get it organized. And it's quite a process trying to curate the films, try to figure out how early to order the films. You want to have films that people haven't necessarily had a chance to see in central Michigan. But at the same time, you need to think about budgetary concerns and uh, what we can really afford to bring in. Um, so it was a little more work than I was planning on, but it's, it's been a blast. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, because I think one thing that people don't really think about going into it is you have to pay to be able to, like, have these films distributed. Yeah. And um, in Film Fest, when we were talking about the price of some of these films, you know, uh, I, I don't want to get too, you know, into the nitty gritty of the business. But, I mean, it, it is a huge budgetary concern. I mean, it, it really is uh, an invested chore to be setting up these little festivals. Right. It's perhaps I think people think that oh, you can just rent the video and show it. Uh, Big and no, it, no. Big no, no, no. You can't do that. It's illegal. It breaks copyright laws. So mm. if you're doing a festival or anything, even on a, a, a campus for, you know, a, a college or a university, mm -hmm. you still need to pay those copyright fees and the royalty fees for the distribution. So films range anywhere from 400 to $900 just to play them once during a festival. So you realize pretty quickly that those numbers add up. And that's part of the reason that we do have to charge admission. I know a lot of people would really like for it to be a free event, but it's just at this point not feasible. Hopefully in upcoming years, we'll have more sponsorship and more support from the community. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be kind of my number one goal for the upcoming years. Uh, but for right now, we have to – we'll never – cover our costs. We'll certainly never make money, but I'd like to lose less money. <laughs> that, that, that's, it on. that's the name of the game with filmmaking. <laughs> Not let's let's lose all of our money. Let's see how little money we can lose. Um, yeah. Mitch, did anything more? Um so you've talked about kind of like the budgetary concerns. Like mm -hmm. how so what exactly what kind of process do you go through like picking out the films? Like which ones are going to be shown at the festival? 
Part of it depends on what's actually going to be available at particular dates. Mm -hmm. uh, in past years, a lot of times we've chosen the movies much earlier, uh, much further out from the festival. But then that means in today's film market that a lot of those films end up streaming on Netflix or mm -hmm. Amazon or something before you even get a chance to bring them to the festival. And while that's fine for some of the films. We wanted to have a number of films that were not yet available in that format. So people would have a reason to actually come out and see them on the big screen. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the process we went through this year. So it was just kind of an idea of negotiating and waiting to see what was going to be available. An example would be I, Tanya. Uh, we were waiting until days before we put in our order to find out if it was actually going to be available for festivals mm -hmm. because it's still out in theaters right now. Uh, but it ended up being available, I don't know, uh, a week before our festival started. So we were able to do the deal to bring Itanya in. Okay. So do you think that's a real struggle, that idea of bringing audiences to a festival in an era where you can stream films? Um to me, I mean, it's appealing to go to a legitimate, you know, cinema and see films projected as they're intended. But most people are content watching a film on their cell phone now. Yeah. Um, do you, like, as you were planning this, did you encounter that roadblock, or did that did that go into your, you know, process? Yeah, that was definitely part of the calculation, and that's why we tried to get some of these films that aren't yet available in that format, um, unless people maybe want to pay for them. And some of them you can't even, you know pay to watch at this point. Right. Um, we did want to encourage people to sort of leave their house, put their cell phones down, and actually just come watch a movie in a dark theater with other people and really kind of enjoy the film and the spectacle of film and come to appreciate it in a different way. Um, so that was part of what we were thinking when we chose the movies that we did. And it should also be noted that, you know, while you are charging Tickets are only $5. I mean, that that's a fairly right. reasonable price for, you know, the investment in. Yeah. You know, I mean, it is a pretty you're, – you're taking a loss with that price deal. So this, this just shows you're really in it for the craft. You're really in it because you think this is an important thing for people to, you know, be interested in. Right. Uh, yeah, the ticket price is half of what you're going to pay at most theaters these days to see a movie. Um so it is a, a pretty inexpensive date night if you want to go out to a movie at the festival. Um, and I think it is something that it is important, but I'm pretty passionate about film. It's, it's a big part of my life. I teach film courses every semester. And for me, uh, it's not the same watching a movie on a cell phone. You can't see the detail. You don't have that same experience. Not that I haven't watched a film laying in bed late at night. You know, trying to fall asleep, I'll watch a movie, I'll watch something, I'll stream it on Netflix or whatever on my phone or on my, like, small tablet. Right. But it's not the same as that experience of watching it on the big screen, of seeing the scope and kind of having more of the impact of the music and the audio and the the experience of yeah, the, the, film the immersion, as an art. Like, the, the immersive quality isn't fully there sometimes with those different mediums. Yeah, absolutely. It's just a totally different thing. So um, it, it's a film festival. Anyone who ha has any idea of the festival circuit knows that there were probably submissions mm -hmm. for the film festival. What was that process like, going through the submissions, finding films to pick and films not to pick? 
It was it was interesting. And again, this is where the learning curve came into play, because what I didn't realize at the time, uh, we use a, a website called Film Freeway, uh, which is a really popular place to uh, have independent filmmakers submit their work. It can be either a short or a feature length film. And what I didn't realize is that working within a university setting that works very differently than it does in sort of the quote unquote real world. Uh, so being at the university in order to be able to open it up to outside independent producers and charge a small fee for them to submit their, their work, we had to go through a whole bureaucratic process with the university because it, it was considered a course fee. Now, there was no fee for CMU students uh, who were submitting work, right. uh, but it still counted as a course fee. So that took months to get through that process. Um, but that's how we were able to reach independent filmmakers, and we've chosen uh, one feature-length film that was submitted uh, from a local Michigan filmmaker, uh, a feature-length film called The Stone Circle. Okay. And then we also have a shorts program that – uh, all of the shorts that we're playing were submitted through Film Freeway or our uh, CMU student productions. Very, very interesting. Mitch, anything that you want to add to that? Um, in addition to you, like who else is involved in putting this together? Like is there a student workforce with it? There well? is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, our Film Society, which okay. is uh, a CMU RSO, mm -hmm. um, which is partly uh, – you know, all about appreciation of film and mm -hmm. film criticism and history, but it also does some production work of their own. Okay. And we had a sort of subgroup of the film society that was really focused on putting the festival together this semester. Mm -hmm. So they helped with making some of the decisions about which movies ultimately we chose to bring in. Um, they helped to judge the submissions that came in from Film Freeway. And some of them produce shorts that are going mm -hmm. to be included in the festival. Okay. Great. So what films are you really uh, passionate about or excited to see or showcase at the festival? Well, the one I'm probably most excited to see is The Florida Project. I've been wanting mm -hmm. to see it for a while. It's very good. And I can't wait. It looks fantastic. I've heard great things. It's right up my alley. It's just the kind of movie I like. Um, I've already seen Lady Bird, which I think is incredible. Um, it's a coming-of-age story, but it's a coming-of-age story about a young woman, which we don't see as often in Hollywood. And I'm very excited that Greta Gerwig is nominated as Best Director uh, for the Oscars uh, because, again, very few women have been nominated for the directorial Oscar. Mm. So also that's very, a big very well-deserved in her case. She's really, like, earned her dues in her career. I remember watching her in Hannah Takes the Stairs, like, a, a mm -hmm. 10 years ago, and— now she's an uh, Oscar-nominated director. It's, it's crazy to think about. Yeah, and it's her debut film uh, that yeah. she's directed. But she's certainly been involved in the business for a long time and exactly. has learned a lot. And you can tell that this is her story. Um, you can tell that it's a very personal story that she's putting on the screen, which is great. But I think there's tons of good stuff. I know a lot of people in town have been waiting for three billboards Mm -hmm. I should say three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri yeah. <laughs> uh, for the full title. But I know people have been waiting forever for that to come to Mount Pleasant, and we're happy that we could finally bring it in for CMIF this year. Um, I think Itania has a lot of buzz around it as well. Um, and actually, one of the films I'm really excited about is 
nor any a drop to drink, or nor any drop to drink, I should say. I should get the title right. <laughs> it's a local feature-length documentary produ- production. Uh, it was produced and directed by a group of CMU faculty and staff mm-hmm. and a student who worked on it that is really looking uh, pretty intently at the Flint water crisis and what people in Flint went through during the crisis. And that is going to be playing at Celebration on Sunday at noon. So Mm -hmm. that's February 18th. Mm -hmm. And we're going to have a QA and a with the filmmakers. Plus, I know several people who are featured in the film, in the documentary, are going to be there in the audience. So they may be willing to answer some questions as well. Hopefully Rick Snyder's there so he can answer some questions. Yeah, I think uh, I have heard through the grapevine that he is featured fairly prominently uh, in the documentary, so we'll see. Man, he's he's getting around the acting roles these days. (laughs) I have a feeling he will not be here. Uh, Mitch, Mitch, something. Were there any films that were kind of like the one that got away, like films that you tried to get in in the film festival but for whatever reason were not able to? Yeah, there was one film I'm really bummed is not going to be here. I was really looking forward to it. It's called The Divine Order, and Mm. it's a Swiss film. It's from Switzerland, and it was all about the women's suffrage movement in Switzerland. Uh, And it wasn't a documentary. It was a dramatization of real life events Mm -hmm. uh, because what a lot of people don't realize is that in Switzerland, women didn't have the right to vote until 1971. And I think people think of Switzerland as a very forward thinking country Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, but 1971 (laughs) is when women finally had the right to vote. And this film was a drama, but it also had some comedic elements and I really tried to bring it in, but there were some problems with the negotiations and how we're allowed to pay for films and how they wanted us to pay for films that wasn't working out. And by the time we could come to an agreement, there just weren't slots available and I had to let it go. But maybe next year. Next year we might bring it in. One film that I know a lot of people have been talking about that's going to be at the festival is Loving Vincent. Um, yes. That's a film that's creating quite a lot of buzz just among people that I've talked to. Um, it's showing tomorrow, Valentine's Day. Yeah. Probably a, the best thing you can you know, <laughs> take your significant other to on Valentine's Day. Do you want to talk about uh, getting that film on the fest and how that process was? Yeah, we were really lucky to be able to get Loving Vincent. It has a lot of buzz. It's now been nominated for Best Animated Feature mm-hmm. at the Oscars. And it's a really unique film. It's an animated film, but it's an oil painting film. So it's literally a painted film. Uh, It, I think, took 100 artists painting each individual frame and doing the animation. Uh, And it's a very painstaking process. And it's, it's just beautiful. I just previewed it today just to make sure that it looked right on the screen and the sound was good and Mm. it looks beautiful. It's going to be at Park Library for Valentine's Day. There's an additional showing later in the festival as well, but it's a perfect Valentine's Day movie. Mm. Uh, Although, you know, it is part of the story about Vincent Van Gogh, his life and death that kind of Mm. takes place after his death. So there are some, you know, not so romantic elements, (laughs) but it's such a beautiful film. I think it's really kind of a a love story to the art. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't seen a lot of films animated in that kind of painterly style. Like I can think of maybe Waking Life, mm-hmm. uh, Richard Linklater's, but 
I, I can't really think of any other yeah, films done in that be style. About the only example. It's a I very unique of. presentation mm-hmm. to it. Yeah, think, and oh, sorry, uh, no, just this is a little bit different than Waking Life because mm-hmm. it is literally hand painted right. every mm-hmm. single frame, so it, it is the first of its kind. It's it's pretty incredible that you know it's going to be showing here tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, we've talked about Lady Bird, talked about three billboards. Um, one film that I'm really excited to see is uh, Gook. That, that that seems to be a really interesting film. Uh, how how was that process of getting that film? Well, I first heard about it. I actually volunteer. I'm a venue manager at the Traverse City Film Festival that oh. happens every summer up north, and it played this past summer in Traverse City. And that film got a lot of great word of mouth after it was done. It is basically set in the early '90s in Los Angeles, and it involves kind of pre- and post-Rodney King verdict and some of the uh, kind of protests that happened afterward and some of the violence that broke out. And it gets into um, issues of race and ethnicity and community and family and what those things mean. It's the filmmaker's debut film. He's also one of the stars of the film. And Seems like a really compelling narrative. Yeah, definitely. Now, you said that you worked at the Traverse City Film Fest. Um, have you worked at multiple other film festivals before? Traverse City is the only one. Uh, I have a place up there, so I am actually up there during the summer. So the past oh four years, I've volunteered at the film festival there as a venue manager working hospitality and that's been a great experience. It really helped with putting this festival together because I saw how, on a larger scale, they're able to bring in a lot of films that you wouldn't normally get to see in Michigan. Right. I was going to ask you how those two uh, different worlds, you know, compared or if one helped you, you know, kind of ease your way into the other. But uh... Yeah, for sure. I mean, Traverse City is on a different scale. They have, of course, Michael Moore, uh, who is the main uh driving force behind the film festival, and they have two nonprofit theaters up there that they run, all based on volunteers. Uh, so it's a totally nonprofit film organization. And, you know, it helps to have a name and someone with connections to be able to bring filmmakers in and, you know, a checkbook as well. Uh, so having a budget is always a good thing. Um, so it's a really fantastic festival in Michigan. We can't do those things. We can't bring in Susan Sarandon to come speak at the Central Michigan Film Festival. But we can bring in local filmmakers and be able to hear their stories and see some things that wouldn't necessarily be played at Traverse City either because they're going to be, you know, shorts, uh, really super independent film, not through any real studio, just made by struggling young and not so young filmmakers who are just, you know, doing it because they love it. So how would you convince people? Because, you know, most people my age, most people in general, um, when they go to go see movies, they're typically going to their local big multiplex theater and seeing a major studio production, which there's nothing wrong with, but that's just the common trend of what happens. Right. How do you get people to care or think it's important to see a film that's coming straight from artist to audience. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think, how, how do you convince audiences that that's important? Well, I'm not sure. 
Uh, I mean, certainly the trend is that fewer and fewer people are going to see movies out at a theater. But I think it is an important way to experience the art form that, sure, they're going to be entertaining, too. It's not going to be like a classroom experience to come see these movies. These are fun movies, right? You're going to see I, Tanya. You know, yeah. that's uh, a studio production, but an independent production. And it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, but I think it is difficult to get people to come out to see Movies that sometimes don't have the buzz of the latest superhero movie that's going to be out in theaters. Uh, it's It doesn't have the same... A lot of these movies are not effects-driven. Uh, they're not going to have explosions uh, and huge chase scenes and fight scenes and things like that, although a few do. <laughs> um, they're really more about the storytelling, and I think it will be rewarding if people come out and actually see the films. And a lot of these films are about people that are the age or close to the age of the college students who I think would really dig them if they came out and watched. Like if people haven't seen Lady Bird, it's about a 17, 18-year-old young woman who's kind of getting ready to transition from high school to college and sure, college students have already gone through that a little bit, but mm -hmm. still in the process of kind of figuring out who you are and who you're going to be and what your identity is away from home and sort of that comfortable space and what you're going to – what your world's going to look like when you get out of that. And mm -hmm. um, I think that's just one of many of the films that really relate to college kids. Yeah, I feel like often – when, when you talk about independent cinema or just people do in general, they have this preconceived idea that, you know, they're very self-important, very highbrow, uh, very yeah. <clears throat> you know, artistically important, self-important films. And, I mean, that, that really isn't the case usually. Really all it means is they don't have a major studio putting the film out for them. I mean, right. they, they, there's plenty of films here that while independent, they're just as accessible they're just as um, appealing visually and narratively as something that you would casually see at Celebration. I think that most people just uh, seem to want to close themselves off from kind of seeking out cinema because they have that preconceived notion. Yeah, and I think there are some of those sort of self-important oh, of indie of films. Mm -hmm. I don't think we scheduled any of those <laughs> this year. Uh, I really don't. I think that a lot of the films we have... They're going to be super engaging for people to watch. Uh, they're all very different, though, so there's something for everyone. And I think, you know, it helps if you go to the website and take a look at what the selections are. Maybe watch a couple of the trailers if you're a person who likes to see trailers before you come out. Um, but I'll just kind of plug our website, which is cmfilmfest.com. Uh, there's a whole schedule. There's a list of all the films, and there's... Uh, a bit of a plot outline and some of the stars and the rating of the films, if they are rated, a couple of them are not rated uh, because they really are independent productions. But I think it will give people an idea of what's going to appeal to them because there really is such a variety of film coming to the festival this year. Right. Mitch, you got anything? I don't think so. Oh. Okay, we're going uh, to edit out this little pause to kind of collect our thoughts. Okay. I'm going to cough then. Go for it. <clears throat> cough away. 23. Yeah. We at we at twenty three for time right now. Yes, sir. Cool. 
All right, let's talk about film, uh, film society maybe a little bit. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. <clears throat> Man. Mm-hmm. Man. Something's going around. Oh, I know. Oh, it's yeah. awful. Okay. So um, you mentioned how uh, the film festival helped you with this entire process. It's kind of like their job doing student productions, but also helping you know, establish the uh, film fest. How do students get involved with the film festival here on campus? Uh, well, the Film Society is really uh, RSO. It's a student organization, so it's totally run by students. I'm just a faculty advisor, um, so I'm there to kind of help guide them a bit. Uh, but if you want to get involved, uh, we have meetings right now every Thursday night at 7 o'clock in more 110, I believe, is the room. And any student can get involved. You don't have to be a BCA major. You don't have to be a filmmaker um, if you like film, if you like watching film, if you want to learn how to make film, it's a great opportunity to get involved. You can start with no experience. Um, you can start with a ton of experience. Uh, it, it's a fun organization to be a part of. There's also tons of opportunities for students to learn um, production work, too, because there's other people involved trying to get their own productions going. And, you know, you need crews. You need right. people running audio, doing lighting, holding your camera actors. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's no shortage of people in demand at, at a film society. I mean, every week we're talking about how we need more productions and there has to be, you know, creative outlets on campus looking to express themselves with film. Right. So it, and maybe, you know, someone out there is an aspiring screenwriter. You know, maybe they have a, a script that they've been working on or just an idea that they have. You know, it's a great way to sort of workshop it with people who are also interested in film and try to come up with something, do some pre-production, get ready to sort of visualize the way you want the film to look. And, you know, some of the productions are not going to be uh, super high production value work, but it's a great way to get your feet wet and get started. And then as you get more experience, you can be working on some of the projects that are more professional in, in nature. But everyone has to start somewhere. And it's a, I think it's a great organization to allow students to express themselves and learn about filmmaking as both kind of an art and a science. Right, right. So this is your first year setting up the Central Michigan International Film Fest. It is. After everything that you've you know, gone through this year, are you going to do it next year? Absolutely. Absolutely. Great. In fact, I think we're going to start planning about a month after this festival is over. I think take a little time off, uh, take a breath. Um, I'm actually working on a documentary of my own uh, that I need to go uh, shoot some interviews for. Um, But after that, I think we start planning for next year. We start securing sponsors. We start planning out the venues a little bit better. And I think we're going to have a huge head start on next year. Okay, ask what the documentary is about. Uh, sure. It's actually about women in radio. Um, mm-hmm. So before I was a professor, I worked in radio for about 10 years. That's oh, okay. what I always thought I wanted to do. But radio tends to be a really male-dominated industry. And not necessarily for that reason, but other reasons. After about 10 years, I was like, mm, I think maybe I'm going to look into other opportunities and other things to do. And I ended up coming back, getting my master's, uh, teaching some audio production courses, falling in love with it, and teaching. But I've always been interested in revisiting 
the radio industry in some way. And I was thinking about doing research on radio and what women's roles are, because you don't hear all that many women's voices in radio, in commercial radio at least, a little bit more on public radio. And most women are relegated to very specific roles like the morning sidekick, but not the main talent. And there's a huge pay gap between those roles. Uh, I can say from my own experience, uh, being a morning sidekick that was paid, oh, maybe 15% of what the main male host made, uh, that there's a, a bit of an inequity in terms of how the industry works with men and women. And we're kind of getting to the bottom of it in our documentary. While we celebrate women's successes, we've had lots of interviews with women who are working across the country in radio. We've done a lot of interviews in Detroit and in Michigan, but we've also talked to women working in Seattle and Texas and Tennessee and Florida and all over the country. Um, and our next shoot is going to be New York City, where we're going to be in a couple weeks. That, that's incredible. That, that sounds like something really interesting. Yeah. And will that be at the film festival next year? Maybe. We'll see. I'm hoping. I don't want to choose my own film to be at the festival, <laughs> but uh, we'll see. I'll let students watch it and see what they think. Well, that's about all the time that we have for today. So before we go, uh, just give us one more plug about the Film Fest. Tell everyone out there what they need to know to make sure that they're at the films on time, that they don't miss what they want to see. Sure. Uh, So the Film Festival, it starts Valentine's Day, uh, which is Wednesday, and it runs through Sunday, February 25th. No, not 25th, uh, 18th. 18th. I should probably get those dates right. Oh, you're fine. Uh, It runs through Sunday the 18th. Uh, The two locations that films are playing, Park Library Auditorium on CMU's campus, Uh, all of the films that are at Park Library, you can get the tickets from Ticket Central, and that means that you can charge them. You can use Will Call. Uh, You can pick up tickets right before the show. You can buy tickets at the door. Uh, we've, that's one of the improvements I think we've made to the festival this year is that you can buy tickets at the door, even on campus, which is something that was difficult to do in years past. You can use a credit card or you can pay cash. Uh, Ticket Central, you can find online at cmish.edu backslash Ticket Central. Or is that a forward slash? I never know. But cmish.edu, some sort of slash Ticket Central. Uh, <laughs> And then all of the shows that are at Celebration Cinema, which is our other venue and a great partner of the film festival this year, you can buy tickets at Celebration or on their website. So the shows that are going to be at Celebration, Lady Bird, Three Billboards, uh, we're going to have the Flint Water documentary on Sunday, and then we also have a Cambodian film called The Last Reel. Uh, And then the rest of the films are at Park Library. All tickets are five bucks. Well, Dr. Patty Williamson, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for all your hard work this past year to uh, set up this film festival. Oh, Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. This has been Moving Pictures. I've been your host, Brent Gunn. This has been Mitchell Kalka. And thank you for listening.